There comes a time when people in positions of authority need to be replaced. Sometimes people go out in glory, and other times they go out in disgrace. Unfortunately, Saul's kingship comes to an end in which he brings disgrace. Disgrace to himself, disgrace to his family, disgrace to the nation, and ultimately disgrace to God also. It is extremely sad in the way in which Saul's reign comes to an end. This morning begins a transition. It's an end of an era. It's the end of Saul's kingship, and it will be the beginning of David's. What has been predicted and anticipated for so long is finally coming to pass. But what we want to consider this morning is Saul's kingship and the way in which it comes to such a devastating end. As the narrative opens, at the same time that David was fighting the Amalekites, the Israelites' fight against the Philistines was taking place. If you notice the first word in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse word says now. Now, there has been a, a jumping back and forth in the last few chapters of what's taking place in the life of David and what is taking place in the life of Saul. And so I think uh, Dr. Vinoy in his commentary summarizes the situation well, and so I'm just going to read it, and I quote, While at the same time David and his men were fighting against the Amalekites in the south, in chapter 30, Saul and his army were drawn into battle at Mount Geboa in the north by the Philistine forces from which David had been dismissed a few days earlier, chapter 29. While David's battle with the Amalekites resulted in victory for David and his men, and the recovery of captured family members and possessions, Saul's battle with the Philistines was a disaster for Israel, resulting in the death of Saul and his three sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Amalekishua, the complete routing of his army, and the occupation of Israelite territory by the victorious Philistines. The contrast in the outcomes of these two battles, fought by Israel's two leaders, could hardly be more pronounced. And that difference between Saul and David is going to be carried over into the actual kingship and reign of David. There's going to be a marked contrast between Saul and David. But this morning, the focus is on the devastating results of Saul's kingship. First, Saul's kingship comes to a devastating end with respect to the nation. There's kind of a headline news that's given to us in verse 1, where it states, Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboa. It's a headline caption of what has just taken place. And then we read of the downfall of Saul that brought a downfall to the nation. Saul had failed in his task. Saul's task was to completely deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. When God had brought Saul to Samuel to be anointed as king, God said of Saul to Samuel, quote, 
Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. And you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come up to me. So God, in compassion upon the nation and all the suffering that they were going through as a result of the Philistines, God says, I am going to raise up a man, and it's his duty to deliver my people from the Philistines. Through the period of Saul's reign, notable battles were indeed won at uh, and against the Philistines. However, there was not a lasting victory over the Philistines. And the battles were primarily attributed to Jonathan and David. But the beginning of the work was done, but it was not completed. After Samuel's death, Saul is once again reminded that uh, Israel will be defeated. 1 Samuel 28, 17. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it into your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Now the day of reckoning has come. In 1 Samuel chapter 31-1, now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and slain on Mount Geboa. Secondly, the end of Saul's kingship brings a devastating end to Saul's family. Verse 2, and the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab, and Amalchishua, the sons of Saul. Because of Saul's disobedience to the Lord, the kingship would not pass to Saul's sons. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And so because of Saul's willful disobedience and abrogation of his duty, God says the kingdom is not going to continue with you. It's going to depart from your lineage. And so as a result of Saul's sin, it affects his sons. And it affects them in a very demonstrable way. In the, the passage before us, it refers to the sons of David, and their names are Abinadab. Now, Abinadab is not very notable. We don't know much about him. His name means my father is willing. Malkishua, meaning the king, has delivered. And Jonathan, and Jonathan was quite distinguished, if you will remember. Uh, again, quoting from Dr. Vinoy, among 
son Saul's, who perished with him at Malkaboa, was Jonathan, David's faithful friend and ally. It was Jonathan, rather than Saul, who was the one who had successfully taken uh, initiative to lead Israel in a battle against the Philistines at Michmash. He was the one who loved David as he loved himself, and who pledged his loyalty to him. He encouraged David to stay strong in his faith in God during the time that he was hiding from Saul in the desert of Ziph. And he confessed to David that he was, as well as his father, knew that David, rather than himself, would become king over Israel. The emphasis is that Saul's death is closely linked to the death of his sons and armor bearer. If you look at verse 6, it says, Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men, on the same day together. It was because of Saul. They were linked to Saul. Because of Saul, Saul dies. His sons die. His armor bearer dies. And his army dies. All because of Saul's disobedience. The point is that Saul's downfall was the downfall of others. The application is that our sins can have consequences that go far beyond ourselves, especially when those sins exist in a leader. It has consequences, consequences that go far beyond the individual. It affects family. It affects close associates. It affects the people. Thirdly, the end of Saul's kingdom brings a devastating end to Saul's life. Now we have a detailed description of Saul's death. It was important that we understand how, how Saul died for two reasons. First, because of an incident which is going to occur later in which a young man claims responsibility for Saul's death. So we need a truthful account of what has taken place in order to interpret that material. So here it is. Here is a detailed analysis of the way in which Saul dies. The second reason that we have a detailed description of Saul's death is that it is important for us to know how Saul died, for it is an important lesson to us. We are to learn truths from the manner in which Saul died. What do we know about Saul's death? Well, first, that he was severely wounded in battle, verse 3. The battle passed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. So here he is. He has a mortal wound, or at least an extremely serious wound. And as Saul laid dying, he wanted his armor bearer to make a quick end of his life, in verse 4. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it. We also know why he wanted to die, verse 4. Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, and here's the reason. Lest these uncircumcised come and thrust through and mistreat me. So he's concerned. As I say, whether or not that, that wound was actually 
uh, a mortal wound. You can't say definitively, but most likely it probably was. But he was going to be dying a slow death. And he was afraid that he was going to be discovered. And that when he was discovered that these pagans, refers to them as uncircumcised, meaning a, a people who don't trust in Jehovah, when they discover him, they are going to put an end to him and mistreat him. He's concerned that he's going to be tortured, that he is going to be severely abused. And so he asks that his armor bearer would make an end of his life. He doesn't want to go through that. He doesn't want to experience that pain, that, that suffering that's associated with a, a death at the hands of the Philistines. So he asked the, the armor bearer to uh, take Saul's life. However, the armor bearer refused. Look at verse 4, it says, but his armor bearer would not. He wouldn't take Saul's life. But more than that, we also know why he wouldn't take Saul's life. For it says in verse 4, but his armor bearer would not, and then the reason, for he feared greatly. Then we must ask, well, who or what did he fear? Why was he afraid? The answer is, he was afraid of the Lord. He knew that it would be sinful for him to lay his hand against the Lord's anointed. That it was not his place to take Saul's life. That Saul's life was in the hand of God. And so, he refused to do, do so. Saul's response is that he committed suicide. End of verse 4. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell on it. He brought an end to his own life. Here was the final act of Saul's disobedience. Not willing to place his life under the authority of God, he decided to take his own life he decided to end it. Why? Because he did not want to suffer at the hands of the Philistines. This is ironic. For Saul is indeed responsible for his death. Responsible in more ways than one. He is responsible because after warning, after warning, after warning, after warning, Saul continues in his disobedience and rebellion against God. And after Samuel's death, when Saul was inquiring of God what he should do, and God refused to answer him, you'll remember that he went to the medium uh, at Endor and asked her to call up Samuel. Samuel comes up from the dead and says these words. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out its fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. That was a part 
of Saul's punishment. You, the army, are going to be delivered into the hands of the Philistines. Here is his final act of disobedience. He did not want to be handed into the Philistines. And so, in order not to be given over to the Philistines, he took his own life. God is dishonored in Saul's selfish act. Furthermore, Saul set a very poor example for his armor bearer, for if you notice in verse 5, and when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. It's hard to know what goes through the mind of the armor bearer. We don't know. It's not revealed to us. Just the fact that it's associated with his having seen the death of Saul. It's striking that he dies in a very similar fashion. He follows the example of Saul, if you will, by falling on his sword. Maybe he thought that was the heroic thing to do. Maybe he thought that he would be delivered into the hands of the Philistines. We don't know what goes through his heart and mind because what we're to do is associate that death with Saul's death. Saul's death had a direct impact upon this armor bearer and this armor bearer bringing an end to his own life. And God is further dishonored in Saul's death. God is dishonored not only in the way that Saul dies, but also in which occurs after Saul's death. God was dishonored because the gods of the Philistines were praised and credited with the victory over Saul and the Israelites. If you look at verse 8, it says, The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news. And now notice this next phrase, to the house of the idols and to the people. So this good news comes to the house of the idols. This was an opportunity to give praise and thanks to the idols of the Philistines for this great victory that they had been able to accomplish against the Israelites. Ashtaroth is uh, singled out in our text. Ashtaroth was praised and credited with the victory, verse 10. Then they put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth. That is a symbolic act. Here is this weapon of warfare, and here is the, the picture of defeat. Here is the strength of Israel. Here is the army. Here is the king. Here is his armor. So it's placed in the temple of Ashtaroth as an offering of praise to Ashtaroth for this victory. The pagan god, Dagon, was also praised. In 1 Chronicles, we have a parallel account of Saul's death. And in 1 Chronicles, we're given a little more detail. In 1 Chronicles 10.8, it says, The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Geboa. 
And they stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to their idols and to the people. And they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. Here's the added information. His armor went to the temple of Asherah. His head went to the temple of Dagon. So again, in a very symbolic way, there is this attributing of the death and victory of Saul to Dagon. That should remind us of chapter 6. If you can remember as we've been working through this, this story, can you, can you remember back when Israel experiences their first defeat at the hand of the Philistines, they had taken the Ark of the Covenant out to the battle, which they should have not have done. And that Ark of the Covenant was captured, and it was taken, and it was placed in the house of Dagon. Now, on that particular instance, God immediately vindicates his name by having the idol Dagon topple over and having the head and the hands cut off. It's interesting that now the head of Saul is in the temple of Dagon, attributing this victory to this pagan god. And on this occasion, nothing happens. God does not miraculously intervene. God does not vindicate his name on this occasion. It's going to take time. But God will vindicate his name. God's glory will be seen. The Philistines will be defeated. And all that is going to take place under the reign of David. It's yet to come. God's plan is still alive and it is still viable. So it's a, a sad state of affairs that David's, uh, excuse me, Saul's death has such a devastating effect upon the nation, a devastating effect upon his family, but also this devastating effect upon the honor and the glory of God. Saul himself is dishonored in his death by the Philistines, verse 10. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body on the well of Beth Shan. A public spectacle for all to come to see, to mock, to make fun of. However, the Israelites honor Saul in his death. Again, quoting from Dr. Vinoy. He says, and I quote, A final echo of the past appears in the last three verses of chapter 31, where it is reported that when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard about the desecration of the bodies of Saul and his sons at Beth some of their warriors quickly went to Beth to recover their bodies and bring them back to Jabesh for a proper burial. It was Saul's victory at Jabesh, Gilead, that had confirmed his qualification to be king and led to his coronation. So it might be said that Saul's reign both began 
and ended at the same place. Jabesh Gilead at the beginning. It was faithfulness to his calling that inspired Saul to fight fearlessly against the Ammonites at Jabesh Gilead. And at the end, it was his persistence in disobedience that led to his burial at the same place. Saul is this tragic figure, a person who puts throne and honor before God, then who spirals into a free fall of failure, jealousy, insanity, murder, foolhardiness, and self-destruction. End of quote. A sad end. But they honored Saul by seeking to guard him against further humiliation, verses 11 and 12. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul, bodies of his son, from the wall of Bashan. They came to Jabesh and burned him there so that that body could not be recovered. Then they took the bones and they buried them. Verse 13. They took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh, and then they honored the Lord, verse 13, and fasted seven days. This, in speaking of their allegiance to Saul and out of a desire to honor God. Conclusion. First, Saul's death, as I've been saying, is devastating to the entire nation of Israel. Not only are those, not only do they lose the battle against the Philistines, there are also some very long-term consequences. 1 Samuel 31, verse 7. When the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead. They abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. So not only did they lose the battle, they lost their land. They fled. This land that God had given to the nation of Israel. So when David takes over, man, are things in a mess. And David has to set all this right. The point is, there are long-term, devastating consequences to Saul's disobedience. As I've been saying over and over again, Saul's death is devastating to Saul's family and those around him. First, devastating in the sect that they don't have the opportunity to reign. Jonathan, such a, a fine individual, that shows such allegiance to God, and yet is going to be disqualified, not for what he has done, but for what Saul has done. Saul has done. It is so important for us to realize how our own actions have consequences for our families. They bear the brunt, the reputation, the fallout of what we do is experienced by our family members. And not only the family members, but to the Christian community as well. For just as 
the nation Israel is going to suffer because of what David does, so does the Christian community at large, are affected by the individual and personal decisions of others. Our decisions have great consequences. What may seem to be only a personal decision not only affects ourselves and others, but most importantly, it affects God's reputation. How God is viewed. How God is dishonored when we don't end well. We may start out strong. Saul started out strong. It did not end well. And when we don't end well, God is seen to be weak. God is seen to be unfaithful. Questions concerning God's promises exist. So we need to be careful. Careful not only for our own sake, not only careful for the sake of our family, not only careful for the sake of our Christian community, but most importantly, careful for the sake of the reputation of God. But God is not weak. God can vindicate himself. And God can fix the wrongs. Second Samuel is a continuation of the story. In the Hebrew, it's one long narrative. And so, we're going to continue. And as we've been working through our First Samuel, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so by the grace of God, it's my intention to work through Second Samuel, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. The story is not over. God brings glory to his name and a deliverance to his people. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your great mercy and grace to us. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us guard our hearts and minds that we are faithful to the end. It's all too easy to start out well and somehow to lose our way. Lord, guard us that we end well for our own glory, for our family's glory, for the Christian community's glory, but most importantly, Lord, for your glory. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.